me, my name is Paul Morelli. I'm a uh, Methodist evangelist, and uh, I was saved in the Methodist Church in 1976. But uh, I want you to know that the Alliance Church is near and dear to my heart. Um, before I was saved, it was the Alliance Church in Brockway that uh, planted the seeds in my life and my heart. And uh, after I was saved and uh, uh, this church, I came here for a while, and uh, you helped me through some rough times in my life. And so I really appreciate uh, the Alliance Church. And on the lighter side, I want you to know that you're just right. You know the three bears story? Too hard, too soft, just right. In the Methodist Church, once you get over about 12 minutes and edge up to 15-minute sermons, they start getting edgy and look at their watch. In a Baptist church, I preach a half-hour sermon, and they get done, and they say, well, what, what else you got? And I preach a second sermon. But here, it's just right. Just want you to know that, okay? So uh, thanks again for having me here and allowing me to present what God has laid upon my heart. And uh, I pray that it will speak to you as it's speaking to me as I preach it. Uh, I'm working through this myself, and so uh, I preach it to myself first, and you get to hear it secondhand. By the way, this is a new message, and uh, so you get to be the first ones to hear it from me. Um, Pray with me, if you would, please. Oh God, uh, calm our hearts, uh, clear the distractions from our mind, the things that go on today, this week, and the rest of the month. Lord, help us to focus on you, let your Holy Spirit invade this room and invade our hearts. Lord, uh, your Holy Spirit convicts and convinces, I don't, uh, but you said you use our mouths as channels for your words, for your message. And so here I am, Lord. Speak through me. If it's not from you, block it. But if it's from me, let your spirit empower it. Uh, Lord, give us clean, renewed hearts and desires to worship you and you alone. In our Redeemer's holy name, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The message today is called uh, Utopia versus the Fall. And that will make sense, I think, as we go along. Uh, I also subtitle it, it always goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Last time I preached here, I suggested you to bring health to the church, capital C, not the Alliance Church, but to the Church of Jesus Christ. We need a movement, especially of lay people, non-clergy, okay? Now, it's not that clergy aren't important. They are. They're a gift of God to the church. But I'm talking about a lay movement. You know, you have one pastor and a hundred lay people. We do the work. We can, we can accomplish what one pastor cannot. His job is to teach us and uh, equip us to do the work that God has called us to do. If you can imagine an army of born-again Christians doing kingdom work for their king, a group this size, I mean, a group of 12 turned the world upside down. A group this size could easily turn Dubois upside down. But I think there are some foundational issues that we need to work on in order to have a supernatural movement of God within us laity. And I believe the first and most important issue is that what or who we worship. Now that may sound kind of funny in a Sunday morning service, but I want you to think through something with me as we go through this service. Uh, We are made to worship. I think you all know that. And every culture worships something or some things. Uh, But I want to ask... Who or what do you worship? That's the question of today. Uh, Many of us claim to worship the one true God. We may profess to worship God as expressed through the Trinity. We may even say that we worship Jesus, the Christ, God in the flesh. 
But I want to suggest to you that though we say we worship Him, maybe sometimes we really worship ourselves. There's a movement today that I've heard called the prosperity gospel, and I believe it's a false gospel, but the underlying desire is good, but misdirected by making us the center of worship. This prosperity gospel, in it we make worship about making me happy. Am I comfortable? Am I free of risk? Is there not any interruptions to my life? Does it make me happy? Am I successful? Am I rich and well thought of, etc.? Sometimes the term used to describe that kind of thinking is narcissism. It's all about me, okay? Worship comes from a Latin word that means worth-ship. And worship is about God, not about us. In worship, we take time to tell God what He's worth to us. Worship is whether is where we gather once a week and we turn our lives that have been influenced all week long by an upside-down world and we turn them right side up again. It's where we say, you are God and we are not. We reestablish our kingdom worldview once again every weekend on Sunday. It's where we say it's about you and what you want, God, and not what I want. It's where we say in the deepest of our hearts, you are Lord and I am your servant, or the word is doulos, which means slave. And the world can be divided up into two types of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those who God says to them, thy will be done. Worship, worship, what is he worth to you? Now I have a Pentecostal brother, Joy Crovella, uh, who always looks for the positive in anything wrong to try to build on it, much like Priscilla and Aquila did with a Jew named Apollos in the book of Acts where they took him aside and explained the gospel more clearly. And the positive part of the prosperity gospel movement is that they are, they are seeking utopia. Okay, Deep inside, we all want the garden restored again, but we go about it all wrong. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. But that's why we need to trust God, because He can see the big picture from beginning to end, and we cannot. He has planted eternity in in the human heart. Basically, this is the innate desire to live in the garden again. Uh, We don't want to exist by the sweat of our brow, and we don't want to experience death. Deep inside of our hearts, we know things are broken and not the way they should be. And even when things are at their best in this world, deep inside, we know that they can be much better. We subconsciously realize that death is always in the wings, waiting to end our fun. We want the garden restored and on our timetable. I think again, uh, I've told you before, Willy Wonka and the Amazing Chocolate Factory, he's my favorite philosopher. There's a rich, young, bratish girl in there and she says, Daddy, Daddy, I want it and I want it now. <laughs> and often we're like that. We, we rush to try to create utopia by our own wisdom and our own earthly ways. 
But the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. We try to make our lives happy, thinking utopia will exist when all of our earthly problems disappear and we have everything we want. But in reality, we find most people with the money to manipulate the earthly realm to a degree are not happy at all. Those who can buy anything and everything they want tend to quickly become bored. And even the rich cannot buy themselves out of a terminal disease or the aging process. And also, the new things that fascinate us, they wear out. And we want to replace them with the newest new things and the latest and greatest. Uh, uh, but the newer ones fail to tickle the happy button like they thought we, they would. we thought they would. <laughs> Personal note, I have a 2008 Mazda Miata that's a really nice car. I li really like that car. It has almost 90,000 miles on it, and there's some nicks and chips in the paint. And, you know, have you really seen the new 2022 Mianas? I mean, wow, if I only had one of them, I would be happy. Funny, that's what I said when I got the 2008 model. <laughs> It doesn't work. Get over it. <laughs> There's an underlying principle that destroys our attempts at happiness. And I'm going to call this entropy for reasons that I think that will make sense as I go on. Entropy is a scientific principle that states that things tend toward a state of least energy or maximum disorder. How many of you remember what an Etch-a-Sketch is? Let's see. How many old people are here? Yeah, okay. And that's a sketch. You can create really neat things on it, okay? I want you to imagine that entropy is like a tumbler with an Etch-a-Sketch attached to it. And all of our beautiful creations as the tumbler tumbles disappear as time passes. Listen to this line number five from the hymn, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all who breathe away. They fly forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening day. Entropy. Entropy. I call it the housewife's nightmare. How many times, women, have you gone shopping, and when you come home, the house is clean, ordered, and everything broken is fixed? I didn't think so. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Entropy takes it the other direction towards more disorder, especially if your husband's home and looking for snacks, okay? Entropy, which I believe started working at the fall, is the enemy of utopia. In Genesis 3, we human beings broke everything that God and God said the only way to keep, keep it working now is by the sweat of our brow in order to resist an entropy unlike when it was first created. And as we can all testify to, we can barely keep ahead of the constant disorder. Stop taking care of anything, even for a short period of time, including our bodies, and entropy has its way. And at the fall we also experienced spiritual entropy. We experienced a loss of God's presence, His Spirit, His power, His relationship, and His sustaining force in our lives. Which brings someone to ask the question, is death an example of entropy? To which the scientists respond, 
real processes tend to go in the direction of increasing entropy or disorder. Aging can be envisioned as an irreversible process of entropy accumulation. Physical death is the ultimate disorder, a state of maximum entropy. Wow, that's heavy. So why did entropy enter utopia that the Bible teaches God created in Genesis 1 and 2? God creates utopia, and then God says, it is good, and I believe when God says it is good, that means perfection, okay? Creation was perfect, and because of that, I do not believe entropy was a part of that beginning of creation. The system was made perfect and maintained by God's Spirit and power. And also, there was no death, which is, there means there's no state of maximum entropy to human life. So what happened to utopia? Where is that perfection now? I believe that the biblical record describes an option created by God that allowed human creation to have the gift of free will. We have this gift of free will that allows us to do the wrong thing. I want to read uh, Genesis 3. I don't know if it will be on the screen or not. Uh, From the New Living Translation, listen to what it says about the fall. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it, don't even touch it, or you'll die. Then the serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that in the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing Everything ranging from all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked like good eating and realized that she'd get out of it, that she'd know everything, she took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband, and he ate. I suggest that those words, she ate and he ate, are the most terrifying words in the Bible. Those four words brought an end to utopia that God had created perfect. We humans broke everything that was created good. And immediately the two of them did see what was really going on. They saw themselves naked. Since they realized they were naked, they made clothes to hide themselves from one another. And we still hide from each other today. Not just physically, but emotionally and socially. And they hid from God physically and spiritually. And we still hide from God today. And God's curse of creation that used to be utopia now becomes the broken world we struggle to live in today by the sweat of our brow. And all the evil things around us that we deal with in this world today are because of us, not because of God. Cursed is the ground. By the sweat of your brow you will interact with it to maintain your physical existence. And eventually... You will not have the strength to prevail and you will die. You will become disordered from your created physical self back to the lowest elements you came from. Dust. It was human free will that broke creation, not God. God gave us free will so that we could have a relationship with Him and exhibit love 
for him. I've used this illustration I know here before, but I want you to really get a hold of this because it doesn't make sense until you do, okay? Um, I usually point to guys and I ask them, how many of you guys would be happy if you saw the girl of your dreams and you could force her to marry you and she had no choice whatsoever? Would you want that? I've never had anybody seriously tell me they did. Why? What do we want? We want her free will choice because that displays love, doesn't it? And in that, when God gave us free will, that was its purpose. Without it, we were puppets and couldn't exhibit love back to God. So God provides for a choice that will give us free will. And the option, as I read it, was an either-or choice. Trust God to know what is best for us. Trust God, the Creator, to tell us what is good and bad. Trust God to discern between right and evil. And the result is utopia continues. Or, trust our own understanding for what will make us happy. And death, entropy, enters creation. You remember Proverbs 14.12 I said before? In the message it says, There is a way of life that looks harmless enough. Look again. It leads straight to hell. Now, I want you to understand we do what we believe. Every action starts with a thought. In the NIV version of Eve's temptation... Eve's thoughts are revealed as such. (coughs) When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And you know the rest of the story. As I said before, those terrifying words were spoken and they ate. And so our first parents took God's gift of free will and chose poorly. And we look back to them and cry out, why on earth did you do that? We wouldn't have done that if we were there. But truth be told, we do it every day, every time we trust our own wisdom instead of trusting what God tells us. Well, you may say, yeah, but Genesis, that's old history. And what happened there does not apply to us in the New Testament. Well, in the New Testament, in 1 John 2.16 in the NIV, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Did you hear that echo of Eve's motivation, her thoughts that caused her actions? Lust of the flesh, Eve said it was good for food. Lust of the eyes, Eve said it was pleasing to the eyes. The pride of life, Eve said it was desirable for gaining wisdom. And that comes not from the Father, but from the world. And we always have a choice. The Father, the Creator's words, or the world's wisdom. Every time you are tempted, you weigh those three choices. In the beginning of that chapter, 1 John 2, at the start, where those three temptations are listed, it starts out this way. I write this to you so that you will not sin. John is telling us if we're not careful, we'll sin in the same way that Eve did. 
And sin, by definition, is an option, a free will choice. We're not forced to sin, ever. It's a choice, just like Eve. And it comes from thinking the wrong things about God, and we do not trust God to bring our happiness. I want you to memorize this. You remember my second title for the message? It always goes back to Genesis chapter 3. It always goes back to Genesis chapter 3. When somebody comes to you with problems, it always goes back to Genesis chapter 3. We choose our way instead of God's way. We choose lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. It's the same old story, just a different time and circumstance, but it's always the same old story. But I want to go one level deeper. I want you to recognize the root of that same old sin. The problem is not directly lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The root of the issue is going back one step further, and it's looking for happiness apart from the worldview that the Creator tells us will bring the ultimate fulfillment, or utopia, if you will. The root issue is the lack of trust in the ability of our Creator to supply our every need. Utopia starts when we worship the Creator, when we honor, trust, and obey, and follow His will. Entropy follows when we worship the creation. We trust in our own worldly wisdom, and we make the Creator either non-existent or lost in a world of other idols and distractions. Then when the world falls apart, entropy sets in. All around us we cry out, why does God allow this to happen? He warns us again and again that the breaking down of our good life is a direct result of seeking utopia by the world's systems, power, pleasure, and things. As I have pondered this concept, I reread Romans chapter 1 for about the hundredth time. And the last time I read it, I realized I've had it backwards my whole life. As we read it in a little bit, I assumed that all the bad things listed, and there are a lot of bad things listed, caused us not to worship God. But now I realize it's exactly the opposite. When we fail to worship the Creator, and we worship the creation in any way, the bad things are a natural consequence, and entropy is built into that decision. They are the natural disorder that comes from broken thinking that is part of a broken worldview. You get that? It's the natural outcome of having the wrong thoughts. I want to read Romans chapter 1 from you from the New Living Translation, and I don't know if it will be on the screen either. I want to warn you as we read through this, we often focus on a few things in this list of bad things that happen. But I don't want you to get caught up in details. I want you to catch the big picture. I want you to hear the key thoughts of why those bad things happen with me, okay? Listen to this big picture and its underlying causes. In the first 15 verses of Romans 1, Paul tells us the message of the good news that came through Jesus Christ. And that it has been extended to us Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Then starting in verse 16, he says the following. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first, 
and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. And I want to break in there just for a second. I've been watching YouTube videos by microbiologists who do animations that reflect electron microscope reality of the inner workings of the nucleus of a cell. And there are micro-machines that build bridges, tubes if you will. And there are walking machines that walk back and forth on these tubules, bringing stuff to the nucleus and taking things out so that the cell can grow and divide. I mean, it is the most amazing thing I have ever seen in my life. And I listen to the scientist who's describing this process that's just unbelievable on a micro scale. And he says, and this all happened through evolution that made this happen. And I see design and creation that just can't even begin to be explained, okay? The verse goes on, through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds, their thoughts became dark and confused. These are natural consequences of an atheistic or materialistic worldview. Claiming to be wise, they instead became other fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And I would add in there, and ourselves. So God abandoned them. He didn't force them. He let them have at it. You catch that? Because they didn't worship Him, He says, go ahead. To do whatever shameful things their hearts desired, as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's body. Here's a key truth. Listen to this. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created, including our narcissistic selves, instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to have their shameful desires. Every, even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged with sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of their sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Another key thought, this big picture thought, okay? Hear this. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them. He let them go to their foolish thinking. And let them, he didn't force them, he let them do things that should never be done. 
And now we have the rest of the list. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. You can think of our world and culture as you think of this. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They are heartless, and they have no mercy. Wow, what a list of a broken world. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. I told you I used to think all the wrong and bad things that are listed were caused by God's judgment, and now I look at it and I see that when we worship the creation in all of its forms, attractions, and systems, the moral breakdown is built right into that worldview. It's a natural consequence when God takes his hands off and says, go ahead. By the way, men, when your wife says go ahead, that's not permission. That's a challenge. Just say, sorry, I got sidetracked again. <laughs> um, God abandons us. He gives us over to our free will, to our own thought processes, which brings about actions that bring about in entropy total disorder and chaos in the creation god steps into the chaos and brings order in our refusing to accept god as creator and worship him and him alone we step in and recreate the chaos all around us entropy is waiting at the door to step in when we don't put it in its place with trust in what god says will make things right this worldview that says we are god what we want is more important than what God says He wants, will bring about a self-centered, narcissistic society. And it will bring with it chaos and destruction of culture and personal lives. It's automatic entropy, if you will. You've heard me talk about Willy Wonka before, when he would tell somebody not to do something, and he would put his finger on his chin and quietly say, Stop, don't, wait. <laughs> God has said, Stop! Don't! Wait! Trust me! Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life are all about us. We worship ourselves, we want what we want, and we think it will make us happy because we are sure God wants us to be happy instead of worshiping and trusting Him. And in the process of worshiping ourselves, the created beings, we neglect worshiping God. And the self-centered worldview is always destructive, and does in the long run bring hurt, sorrow, and death. Does your heart ache for utopia? Do you want things to be right again? This is a good yearning. God has put it in our hearts. But this ache will never be completely fulfilled on this broken earth. And the first step to fighting this entropy in this broken world is to accept the fix, if you will, Jesus provided on the cross for your personal brokenness by trusting his sacrifice to pay the death penalty for your sin. That starts the process of restoring utopia. 
The utopia we long for is an already but not yet process. We begin to reverse the brokenness of chapter 3 by reversing what caused it. It was caused by us not trusting the Creator in the garden in the first utopia, and we reverse it by trusting Jesus to provide the fix for our brokenness by His atoning death on the cross. Jesus said in John 3.14, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes or trusts in Him will have eternal life. And in John 12.32, When I am lifted up from earth, Jesus said, I will draw everyone to Myself. Jesus paid the price of our brokenness and offers the gift of forgiveness and reconciliation with God and His utopia to all who will believe or trust. This trust transaction enters you into the kingdom of God as a baby, a newborn Christian, a child of God, and then begins the process of growing and maturing and learning to live like the kingdom citizen that you now are. And this process should continue so that you can become mature and responsible and give birth to newborn Christian babies yourself and help them mature. This process has gone on for over 2,000 years and will continue until Jesus comes back for His bride, His church, His kingdom citizens who live here on earth as strangers and sojourners waiting to go to their real home, His kingdom. His kingdom where entropy will be done away with and utopia will be supernaturally restored and death the ultimate utopia will be no more. God tells us we die physically, but spiritually as Christians we pass on to His kingdom into another body that will live forever in that new kingdom. This is the hope that we have, and this should be the hope that we share often and freely with boldness to all God opens the door for us to share. We have no more important decision than deciding in our free will to trust the God of creation to save us. And we have no more important job to do as His church to tell others about the gift that cost Him everything, but that He freely offers to all who will listen. But as I stated in the beginning of my message, our divided devotion to our Savior and Lord displays a life lived in a narcissistic worldview. And that divided devotion will keep us from being empowered and effective in our mission and ministry. We need to believe in the Christian worldview, and as we grow mature in the faith, we strive to live into it fully as we trust our King to look after our needs and provide us with the fulfillment, the ultimate utopia we so desperately want and need. Many turn to government, but government can't bring utopia. Romans chapter 13 says God has ordained government to restrain evil. It cannot do good. The only tool government has is force. Force is the opposite of free will. You cannot force people to be good. Police states cannot bring about utopia. We, His church, have the only tool to bring about true good through a changed heart, which is the only thing which can do true good. We have the tool of the gospel that alone can bring new life, make stony hearts soft again, and can make people born again, spiritually alive. 
some for the first time. We, His church, we alone have the calling and the power that comes from God to work for His kingdom, His utopia. No one else is going to do it. May we not get distracted from the main work we've been given to do. St. Augustine said, Great are you, O Lord, and exceeding worthy of praise. Your power is immense, your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we humans, we are a due part of your creation. We long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us. Carry the evidence of our sin. With it, the proof that you thwart the proud. You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy because you have made us and drawn us to yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. I read line 5 of O God, Our Help in ages past earlier. I want to suggest that entropy's rule in our lives and in creation is limited. Listen to the last line of that hymn. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be Thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. If you have made the decision to accept the gift of salvation that was paid for by His death on the cross, but have been living like Lot with a foot in each world, I want you to consider that now is the time to come clean and become a full citizen of the kingdom of God. Pray with me, please. Oh Lord God, I believe all of us do that to some extent. We're all drawn away by the distractions and attractions of the world around us. And I ask that your cleansing fire of your Holy Spirit move through this auditorium and even through my own life and purge the things that draw us away from you. Help us put them in their proper perspective. Things to be used but not abused. Things that we use to live but not things we put before you. Lord, help us to trust you in a way that shows the world that you're the only one who can be trusted. Lord, change our hearts, make them soft, change our lives, and change our hopes, motivations, and dreams. We'll trust you for all of this in the name of the powerful Holy One, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Um, I'm a Methodist so as a Methodist, you have to tolerate my uh, thing that we do in Methodist Church. We always end with a benediction. And I'm going to do a little different benediction today, but before I do, I brought books like I did last time. If you didn't get one of the ones last time, and uh, somebody hasn't passed it on to you, feel free to take one. Uh, my books are always uh, a hope that you'll start the lay movement that I have a vision for, that you'll catch that vision and help it continue and spread to other people. We, the lay people, can change the world. God has empowered us to do so. He's called us to do so. Feel free to use them as tools. For my benediction, I would sing, but you'd walk out on me. So I'm going to read the lyrics of a modern song called Is He Worthy? that's sung by Chris Tomlin. If you know the song and you know the answers, you're welcome to repeat them back to me as I read through the lines of the song. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. 
But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from coming through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The line of Judah who conquered the grave. He's David's root and the lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with His Son. Is He worthy of all blessings and honor and glory? Is He worthy of this? He is. Now, tell me, church of God, followers of Jesus, kingdom people of God, is He worthy? He is. This time, tell Him who we worship, is He worthy? You are. Go in peace. And go on fire. Amen.